Just a Heavenly Father, we thank you, Father God, for being such an amazing God. And we thank you for giving us the opportunity to come here and, and yet again, not only partake in, in music and prayer and in scripture reading, but also in baptism. Again, a special blessing for those who were baptized, we ask, and also for those who raised their hand that they would like to get baptized as well as we begin that journey. But now at this moment, as we're about to open the scriptures, we never dare open the scriptures without calling upon the power of the Holy Spirit, that it may be you speaking and not I. May you prepare our hearts and our minds to be receptive to your word. I ask these things, not because of me or because of anything that I bring, but because of Christ Jesus and the blood that was shed on Calvary. This is my prayer. In Jesus' precious name, let everyone here say, Amen. Go ahead and find your way to Matthew 18. And while you're making your way to Matthew 18, I'll remove this death trap and um, tell you a, a little bit about what we have been doing. So, Sorry, not Matthew. Revelation 18. We're studying Revelation. Revelation 18. Sorry. Make your way to Revelation 18. And while you're getting there, um, you know, those of us who have studied with us in the series, you remember the very first night we talked about Revelation. And then we touched on Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, there was a vision where Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold. He had like a dream and stuff. And, and it was interpreted that you are that king or kingdom. And then we saw the, the chest and the arms that were of silver. And we later learned through our history as well as other chapters in Daniel that that was the Medes and the Persians. We also saw the thighs of bronze. And we learned that that was what kingdom? Does anybody remember? Greece. Absolutely. And then the legs of iron. What kingdom was that? The kingdom of Rome, right? And then we saw the feet of iron and clay that were going to try to commingle back and forth. And they weren't able to really mingle all together because in that very vision, we recognized that after those four kingdoms, the, the, the fifth one, the fifth at, at one, it was the kingdom of God. Between the kingdom of Rome and the kingdom of God, many people were going to try. And we learned that the first night, Hitler tried it, Napoleon tried it, many other people had tried it. To make a sort of worldwide kingdom. But the next kingdom will be the kingdom of God. That dream also demonstrated how although the kingdom of Babylon was great and mighty. It was going to come to an end. And we have seen throughout the scriptures that the story has always been a story of two cities. Has been Jerusalem which was literal once upon a time. In Genesis, we know that Jerusalem at one time was called Salem and later became Jerusalem. We also have learned through, through, through Genesis that at one point it was called Babel and later became Babylon. But it's still from the very beginning, cover to cover, you've seen Jerusalem and Babylon. However... We have transitioned, and again, this is recap for those who have been there. We have transitioned from the literal city of Jerusalem and the literal city of Babylon to a spiritual Jerusalem and a spiritual Babylon. Two camps, two groups. What makes the distinction between spiritual Babylon and spiritual Jerusalem? In the Revelation, the ultimate question is, whom do you worship? And you have a group of people sometimes described to as a woman, the church, who are willing to follow the Lamb wherever it goes, even when we don't like it. Especially when we don't like it, we are really tested as to whether or not we're willing to follow the Lamb. And then you have another group of people who are not trying to follow the Lamb. They are self-serving, and by default, whether delivery or not, they end up following the dragon that serpent of old called Satan and the devil. 
So now that you've sort of been cut up just a little bit, let's look at Revelation 18. Now, we're not going to read it all. I am going to encourage you to maybe go home and read the whole chapter. It's like 20-something verses, maybe 30. I don't know. It's a lot to, to be reading here. But I want to encourage you to go back and read it for yourselves. Revelation 18, beginning on verse 1, because here we are seeing now what is going to happen to spiritual Babylon. And here's what it says. Revelation 18, verse 1. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. Verse 2. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon, the great is fallen. It's fallen. By the way, a good Bible principle, if you remember, when you see repetition in Scripture, pay attention. This is a definite point that is being made. Babylon, the great, is falling, is falling, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Verse 3. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Verse 4, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, lest you receive of her plagues. So this is what is happening. Again, if you haven't been here for the series, you've been cheated. But those who have been there, you're recognizing some of this verbiage. Remember that the book of Revelation, two-thirds of it, is language from the what? Old Testament, right? And this is also very true as a companion book, which is what? Daniel, right? When you're seeing this verbiage about merchants and this and that, this is Old Testament language. And what is happening here is that it's describing an amazing group of people. They were enjoying themselves with luxury and wine and all of these different things. And they, they, they drank of the wrath of her fornication. And, and they're doing all of these wonderful things. Here's Babylon. And then you see an outcry. Come out of her, my people. Why are we being told to come out of Babylon? Because the destiny of Babylon is that Babylon is what? Fallen. It's falling. In case you didn't read it correctly the first time, it told you again right there in that very verse. So there's a couple of things here. Number one, I can picture, I can picture my God. I don't know if you could sense the tears as he's asking and pleading with you to please come out of her, my people. Understand that Babylon, just like Babel, you know, coming from meaning confusion and distortion, everything toward it, everything twisted. You have here this ideology of worshiping God the way the devil does. You know, I would ascend above the Most High. I will sit on the throne. I will be on an altar like Cain, but I'm going to customize the sacrifice because I'm going to do things my way. And so you have people who deliberately do not worship God. Then you have people who do worship God, but it's customized. They aren't willing to really follow the Lamb wherever it goes. They adjust it just a little bit. It, like Cain ended up doing. This is what Babylon is doing. It corrupts. It, it feeds you with false sense of security and power. But Babylon has fallen. So please come out of her, my people. If you have children, and I don't know if you've been there, done that. I have my families that have gone through that. And I pray that I never have to go through this. And I'm praying that God comes before any of this stuff. But imagine your children is in a bad place. Hanging out with a bad crowd, doing things that are not supposed to be. I, can you sense the supplication? Please, please come out. 
Please come out of her, my people. So that's thing number one. You sense God here. You can feel the tears. Number two, it also seems to indicate that Babylon is here right now, that we are in Babylon, or else why would we need to come out? It is not some far strange place, some people over there somewhere. We are right there in Babylon. Therefore, we need you to come out. Verse 9, pick it up in verse 9. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. Verse 10, standing at a distance for the fear of torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour of your judgment has come. Verse 11, and the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise. Verse 12, merchandise of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of the most precious wood, bronze, iron and marble. And the story goes on from there describing how glorious and beautiful and pretty everything was all about. Remember the devil? Because of your beauty, iniquity was found in you. There's something about being attracted. You know, we, we as humans, now some of us, like my kids, you know, we were trying to do the move the other day, and my daughter, she's not here, I could say that. Yeah, and my daughter, you know, she's running, and it's like she sees like a squirrel or something. She's like, no, baby, come on back. Please get redirected. It's like she gets distracted. So some of us have that where we kind of redirect, etc. But many of us, man, the devil just waves something pretty and shiny in front of us. And we immediately take our focus away from Christ and into everything else. We want to do this. Remember Adam and Eve? You're not going to die. You're going to become like God. Ha! I can also become like God. You see that? So here you have a vivid description of this great city, all pretty and luxurious with the best of the best of everything and anything. And in one day, everything came to an end. Everything stopped. Everything was over. For in one hour... Such great riches came to absolutely nothing. To absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, as you read the rest of the chapter, it gets very descriptive. And it concludes in verse 24. After it talks about all of the destruction. Verse 24 at the end of the chapter. After all of the destruction, all of the description, everything that is happening with Babylon, spiritual Babylon, it says, and in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. And so it concludes with that, but determining exactly what is going to take place with Babylon. Everything will come to an end. Everything will come to an end. This is very very important for us to understand. Because I have a people tell me, you know what? I'd rather ruling hell than serving heaven. That is a wrong mindset. It is not the destiny that awaits. It is not how it works. Now, go with me to Luke chapter 12. And as you're working your way to Luke chapter 12, let me give you a little bit of background of what's happening here. Because here, you know, Christ, through a parable, gives us a little bit of insight as to exactly what Revelation 18 is trying to tell us. 
Now, in Luke chapter 12, you know, there were many times that Jesus spoke in people's homes. He did some things privately, but there were also occasions where he preached publicly among many people, many folks in the crowd. We're going to pick it up on verse 13. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. And so, in this particular moment, he's talking to a lot of people. And there's a man that comes to him that apparently he must have been feeling cheated by his brother. He's saying, look, we need to talk about the inheritance of my brother. He needs to share because, you know, most likely this guy felt as though he has been cheated by his brother, that this was rightfully his, but he wanted Christ to make judgment on his behalf. Now, don't get me wrong. If I feel like I've been cheated and Jesus is there, it's like, yeah, Jesus, work it out, brother. Come on. We need to do something. So I probably would do the same thing. But look what it says here. Verse 13 of Luke chapter 12. Does everybody have it? Amen? Amen. It says, Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Verse 14. But he said to him, Man, who has made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? You know, Jesus is like, Dude, this is not any of my business. You know, and, and, and so why is it that he's saying this? Look, I'm not a judge over you. Has made me all of that. Why are you asking me this, or why are you bringing this to me? Is it that Jesus didn't want to be bothered by what he needed to say? It doesn't seem like it. I think he was trying to make a point, and the point is that Christ is not trying to build Babylon or build up Babylon or build bridges to Babylon and, and reach Babylon. He's building the heavenly kingdom. He's not here to make it all pleasant necessarily here on earth. He's not worried about that. And now how do I know? Should we guess? Should we speculate? Come on now. Line up on line. Precept up on precept. Here a little and there a little. Absolutely. Look at the very next verse where he says on verse 15. And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. If you're going to daydream or do anything else the rest of the message, let me read this verse one more time and then you could just not pay attention the rest of the time and that's okay. But this verse you need to take with you. And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. I did not come to salvage Babylon. I came to bring people to the kingdom. That's it. Don't worry about it. It has nothing to do with the abundance of things or anything else. That is not how it works. My kingdom is in heaven. It is not here on earth. Your life is not as important as the things you can touch or taste or feel. There's an eternal life that awaits you. And please don't tell me you're going to throw it away for something temporal, for something minute, for something minimal. Science experiments, psychologists love to do with children. You've heard me tell you this before. Will you like a dollar right now or a million dollars ten years from now? Give me the dollar. We suddenly trade eternity for something minute and something minimal. But let us keep reading verse 16. Because now he goes and tells a parable in which he explains a little bit more what this is about. Because the Bible interprets itself, doesn't it? Verse 16, then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. Verse 17, and he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? Verse 18, so he says, I will do this. I will put down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and all my goods. Because that works, right? 
Now, some of us, you know, somebody was mentioning earlier, I don't know if you were reading through my notes or not, about that junk drawer in your house. Come on. You know you have that junk closet or that junk garage. You know that you have store away these things that you would never look at in your lifetime. You know that. Absolutely. Now, the only reason why I'm not so guilty of that, and even then I still got junk in my house, is because I do move every 7 to 10 years. So we've sort of like gotten rid of a lot of that junk. And every time I get to move, like I collect it for 7 to 10 years, then I throw some away, then I collect again. And so that's why I haven't piled up decades of junk, because I do have to move it every 7 to 10 years. But that's my only reason. We all have places where we store up things. And his solution to not having enough room for all his junk is let me tear it down and build something greater and collect more junk. Because yay, that's what matters. And yay, that's what's important. Now, this is not how it works. Your life does not consist of these things, of the abundance of things. Now, does that mean that God doesn't want you to have something? Does that mean that God doesn't want you to have wealth or money or possessions? No, it doesn't mean that. As a matter of fact, there were many wealthy people in Scripture. You know, Abraham was wealthy, and so was David. Uh, Nicodemus w- was wealthy. Joseph of Arimathea was wealthy. As a matter of fact, historians tell us that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had enough money to support all of the wages of Israel for up to a decade. That's how much money they had. So it is not bad to have wealth. But the thing is that your joy and your life shouldn't consist of that. And there's the distinction. Remember, the Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It says that the what? The love of money is the rule of all evil. And, and so because of that, don't think that, that God is down on that. But he wants to make sure that what is it that you're trading your life for? Have you ever spoke to someone who is facing death? Who knows that they have but a short time? When you talk to them, they will tell you, you know, I wish I could have, I should have, my family, my kids, all of these things, what I own, whatever, whatever, it doesn't matter. It means absolutely nothing. There are more things that are important in life than all of this stuff. This is why your life, one's life, does not consist of the abundance of many things. It's all covetousness. It's all selfishness. It's all vanity. And so Christ is making this point here. He is making it. Let us keep reading. Verse 19. And I will say to my soul. This is the man that, that built up, wanted to build bigger barns for more treasure. And I will say to my soul. Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. You remember seeing that in, in, in um, Daniel when we talked about Babylon the last night before they got dis- destroyed when the Euphrates ran dry? Remember that they were drinking and partying it up. And that night, remember the writing on the wall? Mene, mene, tekel, you farsing? Yes. If you didn't remember, shame on you. Go read it. Now, it's probably because you didn't come. Now, that being said, it's all right. It's all right. That being said, no, but do study. If, you, if you're not familiar with this, look at this because this is imagery that's important. Now, verse 20 but God said to him, fool, I love that word. You know, ever since Mr. T, I pity the fool. I love it. God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? Now, what would you do if you knew that tonight was your last night? What will you do? Think about that. 
What is it that you would do if tonight was your last night on this earth? What would you bargain for with God? What would you tell him? I know for me, I would say, brother, give me at least a week. You know, go to New Jersey, give my mom a hug and a kiss, you know. My brothers, maybe punch him a little bit, but then kiss him afterwards, you know. Uh, that, you know, something. Give, give me some time. But why didn't you knew that tonight was it? What would be important for you then? Think about that. You know, when I do marriage counseling and family counseling, one of the biggest things that messes me up is that hardworking man. I, I grew up in a family of hardworking people. I started working when I was 11 years old. I love and I appreciate and I admire hardworking men and women. But I struggle when either one of them is missing out on their family while trying to provide for their family. I rather chair a jar of vegetarian peanut butter with a spoon with my family than a feast and not miss them and not see them at all and miss out on their lives, birthdays and graduations and other important things. What is more important if you knew that tonight was it? What will you do with 24 more hours? What will you do with an additional seven days, an additional week? What is it that you would do if you knew that it was it? Suddenly you see how some things just don't matter. How almost everything and anything is not important. And that's what was happening for this man here. Now you should really continue to read all of these things. But look what it says here. We're going to skip over to a verse. Um, well, let, let's keep reading. Let, let's read verse 21. So is he who lays up a treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Our wealth should be towards God. Now look at verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, therefore I said to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. I gave an example last night how my brother lent somebody my $120 sneakers, and he kind of lost them. And sometimes we worried about if it's not this particular brand or this particular style, how this is it. But life is so much more than that. Whether you're buried in a $5,000 suit or a $100 suit, it does not matter. At the end of the day, it does not matter. Now, the rest of the text continue talking about all of the things that we should not worry about. But look at verse 31, 12, 31. Look what it says. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Verses 35 through 48 talk about faithful servant and an evil servant. Remember that at the end, there's only two types of people. Those who follow the lamb wherever it goes and those who follow the dragon. Now let's pick it up on verse 54 of Luke 12. And look what it says. Luke 12, verses 54 through 56, it says, Then he also said to the multitudes, Whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say, A shower is coming. And so it is. Verse 55. And when you see the south Wind blow, you say, there will be hot weather. And there it is. Verse 56, hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not discern this time? Now, what time it is that he's talking about? By the way, work your way to Matthew 25. Uh, but what time is it that he's talking about? What is this time? We've learned through the Revelation series, he's talking about the time that we're in. We are living in the time of the end. Scriptures is being fulfilled before us. Prophecy is coming to life. We see it. We saw in Daniel that out of five kingdoms, four have happened. 
And we're waiting for the last one. We've seen out of the bowls and the seals and the trumpets that there's seven. Six have happened and we're waiting for the last one. We are seeing it very clearly. We also see the corruption that is happening all around us. Just like it happened with the real physical Babylon. We are seeing it in the spiritual sense. Morality has gone out the window. It is very interesting. Don't get me wrong. I don't judge anybody. I believe when Christ says, why are you worried about the little speck in your brother's eye when you got a huge plank in your own eye? When I become a holy saint and I no longer have planks in both of my eyes, then maybe I'll start judging people. So I'm not going to judge you for, for your preferences, whatever they may be, whether it's relational or lifestyle. But what I struggle with is that we are in a society that says accept us all, tolerance for everybody, unless you speak your piece about religion, that we have no tolerance for you. So suddenly in a tolerance uh, society has become intolerant to those who want to follow the moral rights taught in scriptures and the principles that are therein. And I have a struggle with that because if it's peace for all, then it is peace for all. Don't come beat me up because I'm trying to follow my principles. Now, don't get me wrong, part of that is that we keep pointing the finger at people rather than looking at the old plank in our eyes, and I get that. Part of that is that we say we are Christians, but we live like children of Babylon, which is why God says, come out of Babylon, my people. You know, part of that is that when they see us in the grocery store at work and everywhere, it's a whole lot different than the person they see here in church, and I do understand that, that we ourselves don't always portray the best character of Christ. Which is why there's a plea and there's a cry. This is why when we talked about the remnant last week, we talked about Revelation 14 when it had a similar message to Revelation 18 when it says the hour of judgment has come or is come. And then it says Babylon is falling. Come out of her, my people. We see it again in 18. Falling, falling, falling. Please come out of her, my people. God is pleading with you and me. And isn't it time? Isn't it time that, that you... Recognize this. The time is at hand. Do you see it? What is keeping you from giving your heart to Christ? What is keeping you from letting go of Babylon? After all, it's all going to burn. It's all going to dissolve. It's all going to be destroyed. So you are trading it for something temporary. Something that doesn't matter. I don't know. Here, if you have any beaches, I know you have like creeks and gators and stuff like that. But in St. Pete, you know, I was surrounded by 30 of them within 15 minutes of my house. Now, my house was two blocks from the water, not because I'm rich, but it's because it's a peninsula. Everything is water. And so, you know, I, I, I'm there. We used to go all the time. You ever built a sandcastle? Yeah? And when you build it today, come back tomorrow, is it still there? What happened? Yes. Are you willing to trade your sandcastle for a permanent kingdom in heaven? Understand that that is all temporary. There are many things in this world that are temporary. And what it is that you're trading God for. I struggle with this. You know, I've discovered throughout my life that there's a lot of things that are temporary. You know, um, I remember when, when, when I was a kid, you know... Um, you fool, full of energy. You know, I did a savage race with Patrick the other day, which, by the way, the other Patrick wants to come with us next time to play. So, so we'll get to do that. Um, and, and so, man, I was broken for like a week. Now, I saw him in the middle of the week, and he's like, Joey, I'm hurt. I was like, oh, really? <clears throat> 
You know, of course, I try to pretend like I wasn't hurting just as bad, but I realized that I can't quite bounce back as quickly as I used to. Two and a half years ago, I donated 12 inches of hair to Locks of Love. And uh, during the series, I, I stopped shaving a little because I was breaking out. But I noticed I'm going gray and bald, thinning out here, nothing happening in the back. But then I noticed some hairs like coming out of my ears. I was wondering where the hair went. And then I find out where it went exactly. And so it's just amazing. There are things that are just temporary, that are just there for a little bit, that it will come to an end. It's just like a sandcastle, something you build on the sand. The shore always comes and washes it off. And if you build it far from the shore, I have learned that eventually dries and the wind takes it off. If some other kids don't come to it and just kick it and destroy stuff, you know, like my daughter used to love doing her. Anyways, I like my sandcastles. Anyhow, but it's all temporary. It really is. And what it comes down to at the end, Revelation, um, Matthew 25, sorry, Matthew 25, verses 32 and 33, is that there will be simply two sides, simply two camps. Matthew 25, 32 to 33. And it says, all the nations will be gathered before him. Does it leave anybody out? All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them one from another. And as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats, verse 33. And he will sit, he will set on the, the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. So as the shepherd divides the sheep from the goats, he will sit there, separate the ones to the right, the ones to the left, and there will be a clear-cut distinction. Those who follow the lamb wherever it goes, and those who follow the dragon. What is keeping you from choosing to follow the lamb? Is there anything here amazing and great? Do you want to build greater barns? Look at all of Revelation 18, all 24 chapters. If very vividly, we're using a lot of Old Testament imagery describes what the end of this world will be at the last days, for the last night here on our earth. You see that very clearly. And in one day, it will all be destroyed. The great city of Babylon, in one night, she is done. What is keeping you? I don't know if you ever wanted a pet growing up. You know, I, I at one point I had two dogs and five cats. I, I, I love animals. When I was 14, my first job in the U.S., I, I worked in a pet shop. And I worked there for a couple of years, and I loved it. And, you know, snakes and, and spiders, I, I, I tarantulas, I loved them. My wife would never let me bring any of those into the house. But, you know, but I really enjoyed them, you know. And, and the birds, the parakeets and the, you know, um, the, the cockatiels, do you know they whistle? Okay, I'm digressing. But I, w I always whistle when I'm sweeping and stuff. And they started like whistling like, you know, Christian songs. It's like, this is great. Anyhow, they were awesome. But the point is, I really do love animals. But I don't know if you know what it is to go and, and desire something. There's a little boy, a story I heard some years ago um, of a little boy who, who went to, to this pet shop. And, you know, he's like, he's like Mr., I would like to buy a puppy. You know, how much for these wonderful puppies? I see them everywhere. I hear them. You know, I would love to buy a puppy. And he says, oh, they're, they're going for about $30. He looked into his pocket, and he only had like $2.34. And, and, and he says, Mr., this is all I got. Can, can I at least see them? Can, can, I, can I touch them? Can I pet them? He says, sure, go right ahead. So, so the men, you know, opened the, the gate, whistle, and, and, and all these puppies kept coming out. But then he noticed one at the end who was sort of just hopping along trying to work his way there. And he says, mister, what is wrong with that puppy? And he says, 
Oh, that one, he was born, the, 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 the vet says he was born with some kind of defect in, in his uh, hip socket. And he would never be able to run and play as the other puppies do. He would never be able to do that. And so, um, so he says, Mr., that's, that's the one that I want. He says, no, no, you don't understand. You don't want to buy him. You know, he's not for sale. He can't run and play like the other ones do. No, mister, you don't understand. He is the one that I want. And the boy lifted his leg up and showed how his leg was mangled. And he had a brace that he was using himself. You see, mister, that puppy needs someone that can understand him. Someone that knows where he's coming from. You see, I'm, I'm, I'm not like other boys either. I can't run and jump and play either. And the mister says, well, if you want him, you could have him for free. He says, no, mister. He is worth just as much as the other puppies. And I will pay you in full. I will give you $2.34 today. And I will give you 50 cents a month until I owe him free and clear. He wanted that puppy. Because he needed someone to understand him. And that young man understood him. And my God, when he saw all the worlds that he created, we know there are other worlds. If you were in the Revelation series, we looked at Job when there was a gathering of all the leaders and representatives. When he looked at all of the worlds, he saw earth. He saw this current universe right here, this solar system. And he saw a people that had been crippled because of sin. He saw people that were broken, that couldn't run and play just at the other worlds that he had created. And so he loved us so much that he sent his son to live this comfortable place, to live this kingdom, to put on our sinful bodies, our skin, and our flesh that was affected by sin. Now Christ was never infected by sin, but he was affected by sin. And he came to die for you and me, and he allowed us to put him on the cross so that salvation can be made available so that we could have a God that understands us. We are told in Hebrews that we don't have a high priest that doesn't know. We have a God that was tempted in every way that we were tempted, who has now become crippled because of us so that he can show, I understand you. This is the Christ who left this comfortable place to come here to understand you and me. He is the same one that is coming back to take us home. He is the one that is saying, come out of her, my people. Won't you let him in? You saw Revelation 18. You see what awaits. And I'm not doing this to scare you. But what I'm saying is to help you realize, what is it that you're trading God for? Are you willing to follow the Lamb wherever it goes? I want to ask everybody here to close their eyes for me, please. Close your eyes. And I'm doing this deliberately. And I'm not going to do a long appeal so that nobody falls asleep halfway through the appeal. But what I do want to do is give you an opportunity to raise your hand where you are with no one watching. If it is your desire to give your heart to Christ. And if it's your willingness to follow the Lamb wherever it goes. Amen. 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 Let us pray. Father God, you see the hands that have gone up here. You see the folks who are willing to make this commitment to you. Lord, pour out your spirit over them, giving the strength and the ability to be able to resist. 
Lord, deliver them from the evil one. Lord, given the power to be a beacon of light reflecting you unto this world. And as they're coming out of Babylon themselves, with me included, that we can bring others out and let them know that there is a better way. That all this here, all of this is a giant sandcastle. And it will come to an end. But one day we will get to be in a mansion built by Christ Jesus. And eventually with the new heaven and new earth as we looked at in the past, we will get to build our own houses for all eternity. Something that will last, something that will endure. And we will be able to be with you, our God and Father and the Son, the Creator and the Spirit. Father God, but between now and then we need you. Between now and then we will be tested. But yes, all of us here we are saying right now, we are willing to follow the Lamb wherever it leads. So Lord, speak because we are listening. This is my prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say, Amen.